0: We are in this series um, on this, this verse, Psalm 46, 10, be still and know that I am God. And we've just been peeling off a, a word or a concept each week and using that really as a jumping off point. And so so it's a series of messages that, that Psalm 4610 is, is really like the trampoline that we're jumping off of. So every word and phrase that we get into maybe is a little bit uh, detached from, from the verse, but it still has its roots in some really key concepts uh, that have to do with that whole Psalm. So Psalm 4610, again, be still and know that I am God. First week, be still and know that I am God. Right? The, the fortress, the shelter, the refuge when all the world seems to be coming apart at the seams. Uh, even then, the next week, we dropped off the word God and went with, Be still and know that I am. And we talked about how God is not just one God among many, but He is God. He is the foundation of existence and reality as we know it. And, and uh, we live and move and have our being in Him. And this week, be still and know. Be still and know. This word no in the scriptures is one that just occurs over and over and over again. And I wanted to spend a little time this morning just looking into its meaning. And uh, I looked up on Webster this week uh, in English, the definition of no. And so buckle your seatbelts. Here we go. It is, uh, nope, not, not here. We're not here yet, Lynetta. I'm going to read uh, off of Safari here. Uh, it's a transitive verb. It means uh, to perceive directly have direct cognition of or to have understanding of, or to recognize the nature of something, to recognize as being the same as something previously known, to be acquainted or familiar with, to have experience with. So that's all of the kind of first definition of of the word no. It also could mean to be aware of the truth or factuality of something, to be convinced of something, and then there's a third definition, and it says archaic, and then it says to have sexual intercourse with. Uh, sometimes we would call that the biblical definition of knowing uh, because every once in a while, if you got a King James Version, you, you would find something where it would say Adam knew his wife, and they conceived, and they gave birth, you know, she gave birth. And, and so we'll talk about that in, in a little bit because there's a reason that that word knowing is used to apply to something so intimate as two people coming together and becoming one in a covenant uh relationship in a marriage right and so there there's this this uh, all these different def- definitions of of knowing and and knowledge and i think when we think of knowing something, even just the way that I spoke that sentence just now uh, as as a default, is that when we think of knowing, we tend to think of it in terms of knowledge of something, gaining mastery over a subject. I think when we go to school, we spend years and years and years of our life learning subject matter. So we have books in front of us, we memorize lists and dates and definitions, and then we take tests over those things to make sure that the teacher knows that we know that subject matter, right? This is, I think for us, when we think of knowing, it tends to be the default of how we think of that verb, to know something, to have mastery over something. And so if we don't know something, what do we do? we ask Siri what the answer is, right? Like that's just, if you don't know something, that's just the default. My kids know this, would they have known this since they were two. You just hold the button a little longer and you ask it uh, until you know what that thing is that you want to know. Now, uh, Lynetta, I didn't share this with you, uh, but if you could go back to the blank screen and then just take your hand off the mouse because I'm gonna take over the screen just for a minute. We're not gonna do this for a long time this morning, but uh, I wanna work on this Uh, this spectrum of meaning of the word knowing even in English uh, those definitions that I was reading even though they're kind of all these technical terms there's a spectrum it's not just knowledge about something but it's also a kind of a relational knowledge as well so if we uh, do this we could start maybe over here on the spectrum and we would say one kind of knowledge is head knowledge is that big enough for you guys can you see that I can't tell how big I'm writing. Head knowledge or mastery over a subject. So that's one kind of knowledge, and I I would say that that's probably the default kind of knowledge when we think of things. But there's another side to the spectrum over here, and there's another way that you know someone, and it's the relational side of the spectrum. Relational or experiential, you might say, knowledge. And this is the s- spectrum. So there are different kinds of knowing. And the further we get over towards that right side of the spectrum, the more the knowledge becomes personal, right? the more the knowledge becomes experiential. So this is something that I'm not just reading in a book or somebody else is telling me about, but this is something that I have uh, direct knowledge of. And uh, this is something that the further you get over into that way, it's more of a direct relationship kind of knowledge. So if we get over to this right side of the spectrum, this is where you might have the kind of saying, do you know Bob? Do you know Ashley? Or do you know Adam? Or do you know do you know a person, right? And that's the kind of knowledge where it becomes relational and experiential and where it's not just something that you've heard about or somebody that's told you about this thing, but it is something that you actually experience. And I think this is actually what is in view in the relational kind of knowledge in the scripture. That right side of the spectrum is often what's in view in the biblical language. This is why marital relationships are sometimes described in this way. So a person knew his wife and they conceived and had a child. Because there is this, uh, there is this reality that in that covenant marriage act between a man and a woman, when they come together, that there is this nakedness and unashamedness—pardon the graphic nature of this—but but there is this not just a physical coming together, but a spiritual and a heart level and a and a kind of connection that that takes place in that marriage uh, in that marriage relationship there that really gets to the depth of knowing someone and how, and being connected with that person. The in the scripture the Hebrew word. That we find in Psalm 46:10 and about 950 other places is this word yada. Everybody, say this word with me together. Yada. It's great, right? like tada it's like a it's like a magic you all know how to speak this word in hebrew now uh yada means to know and i was doing some research in some uh, you know bible study tools this week and found this definition which i thought was really helpful yada to know in the hebrew language is not just to be intellectually informed about some abstract principle but to apprehend and experience reality There's two great words like apprehend, to come into the knowledge of it, to experience reality. Knowledge is not the possession of information, but rather it's experience or actualization. This is uh, the, in the Hebrew language. They've got this spectrum as well of, of understanding. There's knowledge about something, and and in, in Psalm forty six ten even there is a little bit of this. There is an objective kind of knowledge that's going on when you look at the whole verse in the context of the chapter. We are to be still and know that there are some things that are true about this God. He is a refuge and He is a shelter, and He is the one God who is the foundation, the source of all reality. So there are some things to know. About about this God, but you only can come to real knowledge about those things and understand those realities if you come into relational knowledge with this God. Are you with me here? You, you come into it with a whole different kind of understanding. You, you can't just have one kind of direct knowledge and say, yes, somebody told me about that or I read about that somewhere when it comes to God. The only way to really know properly about this God is to enter into a direct relationship with this God, to come to know this God. This is um, illustrated really well in Exodus chapter 33, which is one of the stories that we're going to sit down in here for a little bit this morning. So if you brought your Bibles or you want to pull out your app, go to Exodus chapter 33, verses 7 through 18. And in this story in Exodus, this kind of knowing, this kind of a relational experiential, just sinking in deep to this, this kind of relationship, this is the kind of knowledge that is on display. And this word yadah shows up over and over and over again in this story. Again, we said it like 950 times in the Old Testament. It's like five or six times right here in this little passage that we've got in Exodus 33. And just to give you a little background on this story before we start reading a passage from it, uh, the people of Israel are traveling through the wilderness. They've been there for some time. God has given the Ten Commandments twice uh, at this point and and because Moses came down off the mountain the first time and smashed the the tablets. And and so they're they're on their way to the Promised Land, but it has been a rocky road. They've been delivered from slavery in Egypt um, and and now they've spent um, just a, a while out there in the wilderness, wandering around, and the relationship between the people of Israel and God is really on the rocks. God is becoming frustrated with His people. Uh, the people are complaining against God and talking about how maybe we ought to just go back to Egypt, to things were better for us back there, maybe even. And so God is is having these conversations with Moses and saying, maybe I just will stay here, and you guys can go on by yourselves, because this maybe isn't working out for you. This relationship, this kind of knowledge, and and there was this there was this uh, pattern that they had this this deal of uh, of relating with God, where somebody wanted to talk with God, they had a tent that Moses would set up outside of the camp. And if somebody wanted to go and, and relate with God and, and communicate with God, uh, many times they would go into this tent and they would have this conversation. But when Moses would go to this tent, they called it the tent of meeting. When Moses would go into this tent, all of the people recognized that there was something special that was happening in that moment. And so the people would go and they would stand outside of their own tents at the entrance to their own tents and they would wait and watch while Moses was in the tent of meeting. And a cloud, one of the signs of God's presence in the, in the Exodus would come down and sit down on that tent of meeting while Moses was there. And the people said, and Exodus describes this, that, that when Moses was in that tent, the Lord would speak with Moses as if he was face to face with him, They had this kind of direct personal knowledge of one another, especially of God to Moses and Moses was learning how to know God and learning some things, not just about God, but what it means to be in relationship with God. And so one day Moses and God are having this conversation and God is trying to figure out, am I going to go with these people or not? And Moses Uh, in verse 7 we're going to pick up the story now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away calling it the tent of meeting Uh, skipping down to verse 11 I just told you some of this background Uh, verse 11 the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend then Moses would return to the camp but his young aide Joshua son of Nun, did not leave the tent verse 12 Moses said to the Lord You've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You've said, I know, there it is, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. Well, if you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you remember that this nation is your people god do you hear this moses tells god look i know that i am fully known by you you knit me together you've called me out you've given me a mission over and over and over again you've shown that you know who i am and you know everything about this world right i get that but i love what moses does here now god this god who has revealed himself to moses over and over and over again through all sorts of mighty acts moses says god would you continue to reveal yourself to me? Show me your ways so that I might be able to know you. Same word, you know me, I know this, but, but I want to know you now. So show me yourself, show me your ways, reveal yourself to me. And then he asks this question, or, or he makes this request, remember, this nation is your people. Verse 14, the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Now, if you're just reading this uh, in English, you might miss the, uh, the depth of what's going on here. They're having this conversation about Moses leading the people into the promised land, and God is wrestling with the idea of maybe leaving that to them without going with them. And so Moses asks, you have to go with us. Um, Remember that this nation is your people. Moses is trying to to help God remember the covenant he made with Abraham and with these people and say, we can't go anywhere without you, God. And God says, my presence will go with you. And that word is singular. It's like, Moses, I'll speak to you face to face. Uh, I'll go with you. Um, But it's singular. I'll go with you. Moses said to him, If your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up out of here. That's not good enough, God. Uh, I don't want you to just go with me. I want you to go with us. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people? On the face of the earth. Do you hear what Moses is saying here? (coughs) Moses is saying, God, our knowledge of you, our relationship with you, and yours with us, your presence with us, is the defining thing about who we are. If we get up from here and go off to the promised land, I, I don't want us to be a people who say, one day, a long time ago, we knew about this God who delivered us from Egypt from slavery in Egypt. I don't want to get to a place where we have to look back and say our parents or our grandparents had this relationship with this God at one time, and that delivered us. Now we're on our own, but that that happened at one time, one day, and and we've heard about, I don't want to become that kind of people. Uh, I want to become, I want to be the kind of people who don't have to say we knew, but I want to be the kind of people who say we know. And I don't also want it to be a kind of a thing where I just know you, and then I have to tell everybody else about you, and they have to have this kind of derivative knowledge of you. I want us all to be in that kind of relationship with you. Your presence, God, we want it to go with us, together, all of us. This is a it's a bold request from Moses. Moses had these kind of wrestling matches with God. In fact, you find people in the scripture over and over and again having these kinds of wrestling matches with God. The people in the scriptures are not just robots that hear the will of God and then, you know, just whatever. It's, it's like we're all, they wrestle with God sometimes over these things. And Moses did this. It's just like you'd talk with somebody uh, as with a friend. And, and the Lord said to Moses, Okay. I'll do the very thing you've asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. Now, if I was in Moses' shoes right now, I'd say, okay, thanks. <laughs> and then leave, right? And go back to my room and be like, all right, thank you. That was really dangerous and I can't believe I just uh, like won that argument or something, you know? And then, and, then, and then Moses, though, Moses, man, he doesn't give up. He says, now, show me your glory. Show me your glory. Moses, in this moment, I love this. He says, okay, God's just given us a promise of having his presence go with us, so we'll know him collectively, but I don't want to just know enough about God. I don't want to just dip my toes in this relationship. I want to go as deep as I possibly can. That word glory in the Old Testament is this word kabod, which is like the weightiness of God's presence. Like, like just lay it on me, God. I want you to just like smack me with that anvil of your presence, you know? Like, like I, I want, oh, show me your glory. And that leads to this whole other sermon and, and story about how God says, oh, okay, God, or, or okay, Moses, I'll show you my glory, but you can't see my face or you will die, so you're gonna hide in this rock and I'll, I'll pass by you and cover you up until I pass by and then you can kinda like catch my back as I go. But this is Moses' heart here is this, this I've gotta know the depth of who you are. There are, um, th- there are a few things that can cause us to go off track when we come into uh, seeking to know God. A, f- a few ways where we can take that word know and just give it a little bit of a twist or a spin or only focus on one part of that spectrum and it just throws everything off. And I want to show a few of these. Lynette, I think if you just hit the... Oh, they all come at the same time. That's all right. Uh, so refusing to settle. This is what I think Moses uh, it, it's so beautiful about Moses. What Moses does here, he refuses to settle. And you can just uh, put them all up there um, for me. They were up there just a minute ago. All right, click the button. No, click the back button, maybe. They came up on my screen. They never did. There we go. Are you are you here? All right. Sorry, I'm throwing you a lot of curveballs, Lynetta, and I didn't tell you any about any of them. So she's swinging blind back there. Uh, my bad. So refusing to settle, this is what Moses does. Um, one of the ways that we can settle in our relationship with God is we can rest on past knowledge. And so we can say, it's enough that I knew God at one time. Sometimes we tell our testimonies like this, don't we? Tell me, tell me your testimony. Tell me about your relationship with God, well, I grew up and this was me and then I had this experience and I went to the altar when I was this old and then I I maybe did this kind of thing where I just submitted my whole life and I was this old and and then God did this for me. And and by the time you get to present, there's not really a lot of stories. And this is maybe one of the ways that sometimes in our lives we rest on past experience. And Moses and the people recognize we can't get on like that. God did these incredible things. I mean, part of the Red Sea, he's given us manna and quail and water from rocks. He's delivered us from the most powerful nation in the whole world at the time. And and yet, as great and as incredible of mountaintop experiences those things were, we can't just rest on those forever. If God doesn't continue to go with us and we stay in active relationship and we continue to make new stories and learn new truth and continue to go and and dive and press in, then it's just not going to be enough to just rest on what used to happen or what happened one other time. Next bullet slide. Sometimes we settle for derived knowledge. This is the kind of knowledge that, man, this is an epidemic. It's good enough for me to listen to some preacher on TV or my pastor at the church or to read my book about God or read my devotional about God. And yet so often we settle for knowing about God. And we forget that in order to know God the way that, that he calls us to know him, we got to take that extra step of actually coming into his presence and, and coming into that direct relationship and not just taking somebody else's word for what happens in a relationship with God, but actually moving into it ourselves. Sometimes we settle uh, the third thing for failing to press in. You might say just knowing enough about God. Like I've been walking with God for a long time. At some point, do you just ever say, okay, let me ask you this. If you're married, Do you ever get to a point where you're like, I know enough about my spouse? If you do, (laughs) we need to talk, right? There's always something new. There's always something new the relationship morphs and grows, even if it's just that, uh, that there's always something new. The time that we're in uh, causes us to l- learn something new. We learn something new based on who we are sometimes, but always. Ashley and I have this routine every once in a while. We'll go on a date, and uh, sometimes, I mean, we've been together for 17 years or something now, dating all the way through, and and uh, and you think sometimes you're like, is there anything else to know? But we'll like do a, a search for, for questions to ask on a date or something, it'll be like, tell me about your second grade teacher, and I'll realize I never knew about your second grade teacher before, you know, or tell me, so tell me about that, and and there's always, 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 always something new to learn. Moses, when he says, show me your glory, he's like, it's not enough. I always want to know more. I want to press in. There was a, there was this, this experience that we used to have um, when we were dating and engaged and when we got married there was this tv show that ashley and i used to watch called iron chef do you guys remember iron chef we used to watch it before it was iron chef america so it was like all translation from spanish and it was do you remember that who has seen this show before show of hands so you remember the word squeeze on you remember that we ne- we always like we had this joke we could never figure out what that uh, what that word actually was. I think it was somebody's name but we never could figure out actually what they were saying anyway so there's this show and you have these the, these uh, these giant culinary experts that come into what they called kitchen stadium and there was this secret ingredient that would be revealed and they would have to come up with an entire like five course meal in one hour based on this secret ingredient and so you had these battles that were going on and you had an iron chef and then somebody who was a challenging that iron chef and they would go through through uh they would go through this process of of making this meal and then at the end of this show like with every food network or cooking show uh there would be this panel of judges right and they would sit out sit down at the table and they would serve these chefs would serve their meal to these judges And you would watch, we would watch and we would see the food that was plated there and it would look so beautiful. And then, and then we would watch the judges take these bites and make these facial expressions and, and talk about how it smelled and talk about how it tasted and what it did to your palate and all these, whatever. And uh, food snobs, all, all of this kind of stuff. And then, and yet, you know what they're trying to convey? They're trying to convey to you through a TV in a way that you can experience something that they wished you could experience if you were there and actually taking a bite for yourself, right? Every food show has something like this. You never watch a food show, Rachel Ray or whatever, even if it's not a competition. The, the very last thing is always them cutting and taking a bite and saying, Oh, tastes so good and if oh it smells so good and oh if you could just see this and and just and, and they're trying to say this would be wonderful if you would cook it on your own in your kitchen and eat it but there's no substitute for that right and it's the same with faith i could i could stand up here all day long and tell you about a relationship with god and invite you into that you could hear from your parents and your grandparents about how amazing God has been in their life. We could stand up, every one of us, and give testimonies all day long. And, and yet, if you, and, and if we were just to rest on that kind of knowledge, it wouldn't be enough. Psalm 34.8 says, taste and see. Taste and see For yourself. For yourself. That, that maybe this is a hurdle that you, you've been struggling with and haven't quite gotten over and, and, and yet you're, you're sensing this morning there are some ways that I've been settling in my knowledge of God. Be still and know. There's some further, uh, there's some further pressing in that I need to do on that. My promise to you from the scriptures is that if you taste and see for yourself, come into God, lay yourself before God. God, I want to know you. Show me your glory you will see that the Lord is good. Would you pray with me? Father, we're getting ready to go just now to communion where we will actually taste and see. And we will be reminded through that sacrament of the way that you gave yourself to us so that we might be able to know You. Without the barrier of sin between us, without our brokenness shielding us from You, without that temple curtain dividing us between our life and the Holy of Holies, but You gave Your life so that could be torn in two, so that we could come and we could know You. God, as we taste and as we remember, May we be reminded of the goodness of who you are. That you call us into a relationship with you, that you make that relationship possible by your own giving of your life. And may we find uh, the goodness of you there. In Jesus' name we pray.